I love those uh, final words. I'm, I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell. I'm one of the, the, the wise, mature ones that Melissa was referring to just a moment ago. And excited to be able to worship with you. I love those, uh, those words, Christ alone, through the storms. You know, that's the challenge. That sometimes God doesn't stop the storm. He's with us in the storm. And I want us to explore that in the reality of Christ is alive. He is the cornerstone. He is the one in whom we can trust. Then why does he even allow the storm? And what should I learn in the midst of the storm so that I can know that he is my cornerstone? I was thinking about this this last week as we talk about this morning, connecting with Christ on the road of life. God has us traveling. We're going to go to a literal road that is right outside of Jerusalem, but there's sort of a metaphor there as well about the broader scope of life. But I noticed a tweet this last week by John Stamos. Now, I remember John Stamos very well because every Friday night the Mitchells were in front of the TV watching Full House and our little girls, that was one of the thrills. That was the day you could sit with the whole family and just watch TV and not have to worry about something. But uh, we're excited for that. And as I saw that name and I saw this tweet, it really brought me back to something that happened just this last week. It shows how the storms of life sometimes keep coming and we need to have a hope. He was talking about the terrible thing that happened in Brussels. And he says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, that tremendous song that is out there. Hashtag pray for the world. And then he has an image and a picture of a button that you push to cause, go across the crosswalk. And then it says press to reset the world. And there are times in our lives when we just want to have a reset. We want to have a do-over. We, we want to scratch it all out and sort of have a new beginning. Take the computer, refresh it back to when it once was so that we can have a better view of those things that are going on. And this morning we like to have a reset and know that Christ has come to help us reset the world in which we live, to help reset our lives, even when there is a storm, even when it doesn't feel like the cornerstone of Christ is there, that He can be there. And we want to explore that together. Because Jesus seeks to journey with us. One of the ways that we understand what God wants for us is through the Bible. I'd like to read a text that really tells the story of Christ right after the resurrection. So he is alive, he is traveling, and it's in Luke chapter 24, and you want to use your Bible, a Bible in the chair rack in front of you, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke 24, the last chapter, and in that it tells the story of Christ coming across a couple of guys on what is now referred to as the road to Emmaus, because it is the road to Emmaus, and they are in a storm in their own hearts. So let me read it. In Luke 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day. Two of the them refers to the disciples, those who are followers. These are good men. They love the Lord. They were following him, but they're completely distraught at this point. And it says, And they were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with, we, with each other about these things. What things? They're talking about the fact that the man that they had followed named Jesus of Nazareth had just been crucified, and they don't fully get why that happened. So they're discussing this. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself, after the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, he himself approached and began traveling with them, which is a staggering thought, to have the resurrected Jesus right there, three of them walking down this road. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, Jesus said to these two men, 
What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them was named Cleopas. He answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? Jesus did. And they said to him the things about Jesus the Nazarene. He was a mighty prophet indeed and in word in the sight of God and all the people. How the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We thought he's going to be the king he's going to set us free from the Roman rule and we're finally going to have the kind of kingdom that we've been seeking as a Jewish people. And they are so disappointed that it didn't happen. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things of his crucifixion had occurred. But also some of the women among us amazed us. When they were in the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Now some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it as exactly as the women had described it. But Jesus they did not see. And he said, Jesus said to these two men, O foolish men, slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And then Jesus traveled with them a little bit further, and it was the end of the day, and they said, come and stay with us. So he came into their home. They dined together. And Jesus continued to teach them and explain who he is and what he's all about. And then suddenly God removed the blindness and they could see this is Jesus. This is the resurrected Christ. And then suddenly he disappeared. And they were amazed as that our hearts were burning within us knowing and hearing what he had to say. I like to capture sort of the first part where there is this sense of disappointment and need and then the second part, where Christ comes and meets us in the midst of that need. There are three things that I identify with these guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus as they journeyed with Jesus, not knowing that it's Him. The first thing I notice about these guys that I identify with, and perhaps you will as well, is that they had a sense, they, they, they lacked a clear direction as to where they should go. They were in Jerusalem, which is the hub of religious activity. That's the heart and soul of all that the Jewish people were seeking. That's where the temple was. That's where the crucifixion, the trial. That's where everything was happening. But notice what happens, and behold, the two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. Just that little phrase, from Jerusalem. These were men who were dedicated to Jesus. They followed him. They, they could recite and watch having him raise the dead man Lazarus after four days in the grave. They saw these things. They heard his messages. But they've given up on Jesus because they believe he's still dead. And sometimes when I get this sense that they had, I sort of move away from God. I don't want to move towards God. And maybe you had those feelings where when there is this sense of this uh, circumstance that didn't go the way you wanted it to, I don't know about you, but I feel this way, that I feel more distant from God sometimes. But here's the beautiful thing. If you have a friend that's doing that, that Jesus came to them. They didn't go to Jesus. 
Jesus seeks to come alongside those of us who are thinking, I need to move from him because life isn't going so well with him. I followed him, they would say, for three years, and this is how it turned out. Jesus seeks to be with those of us who are wandering from him. second thing I noticed about this, we learned from this passage, is that we will experience times of discouragement even when we thought we were so dedicated to the Lord. That's what happened to these men. And Jesus said to them, what are these words that you were exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. And they couldn't believe that Jesus didn't know what was happening in Jerusalem. And it's sort of like if you went to New York City right after 9-11 and you find all the people sort of gloomy, disappointed, depressed, distraught over this terrible calamity that happened. That was their 9-11, these two men and all of his disciples. They thought he was the king and that he's dead. And then this stranger walks up alongside them on the seven-mile journey to Emmaus and this, journey, this stranger has no idea what happened in Jerusalem. They can't imagine. How does he not know of the calamity that I have just gone through? And they were very sad. Sometimes we feel like God just doesn't get it. There are those moments in life when it looks like he is sort of oblivious to my pain, sort of unaware of my needs, too busy doing other things to address where I'm at in life. And that's who Jesus finds in the road to Emmaus. And maybe on a journey that you're on, you are thinking, God, don't you know what I've been through, what I've seen, what I've experienced? And God, it seems like you're like Jesus to these guys. What's going on? I, I didn't know that you were going through that. That's that awareness factor that sometimes is discouraging to us where it seems though God is just not aware. I need you, Lord. And the third thing that I noticed, not only their direction, discouragement, but the sense of uh, disillusionment with life. It says there in verse 16, I'm intrigued by these words, Luke recorded, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. I don't claim to understand why fully Jesus didn't want them to see he as the resurrected Jesus. If I'm the resurrected one, if I died and came back to life three days later, I'd be going around shouting to everybody, I'm alive! Let's throw a party! Let's have a celebration! But for Jesus, no, I don't want you to see me. How do you hold that in? You know, that's something you want to talk about. But he held it in. And there are those times in life where God still does that. There's so many times in the Psalms, the psalmist is saying, God, where are you? God, they're accusing me because they don't see you at work in my life and they're thinking I'm a failure. There are those times when it seems as though Jesus is absent, didn't show up. When I need him the most, he's not there. I don't see him. But the beauty of the story is that we know better now that in those moments of life of this disillusionment, when it doesn't seem as though Jesus showed up, he can actually be there. He is present because he is God. And he's always promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Also, I noticed in verses 21 through 23 on the big screen behind me, but we were hoping, we were hoping that 
He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping all hope was in him, that he would take care of all the problems of life and that we'd have the freedom that we want as a nation, that the Roman rule that's oppressing us and holding us back would be set free and we'd have the kind of kingdom that God is in charge of, not mankind. We were hoping for that. And so they're disillusioned because it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. And it says, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some of the women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb. And early in the morning and did not find his body, that they came saying that they had also seen a vision of the angels. And they said, he's not here, for he has risen. There are some times when you look at people, and this is the thing that struck me about this, and just think about it for a moment. When I'm going through something where it looks like God is absent, but I see other people like these men look at these women, they saw the empty tomb. They saw the angels. I didn't get to see them. They heard firsthand that he's alive. I didn't know that. Sometimes I get into a mental mindset of comparison that those people are kind of okay. Why did this have to happen to me? Why am I the one that wasn't on the inside and looked like God was absent for me when he was with them. It's really easy as these men said, well, the women saw that, but we didn't get to see it, so we don't care. didn't happen for me. So this is the need. This is what Luke wants us to know. This is sort of the bigger picture that there are times when it looks like the direction of my life is not going well. I'm sad because there's a disappointment that God didn't seem to show up or even know about my problem, and then I get a little disillusioned, and it becomes difficult for me. Now let me go from that to something a little bit crazier. As one who rides a motorcycle, I was intrigued by a poll that came out two weeks ago on a blog, and they listed the ten best roads to ride on. One of those roads is right here in Southern California. It's 243, it goes up to Idlewild, then 74 down back this way. And I thought, why is that road better than what you see as interstate 10 that goes down through Palm Desert and Palm Springs and out to Indio and to Blythe. Why is that better? Because there are twists and turns on that road. And those who ride like those things. There's a sort of excitement that comes with it. Whereas a lot of us, we feel a lot safer on the interstate where we can see way down the road. We don't like to come upon a bend and not know what's next. Life is sometimes more like the 243 to Idlewild than the Interstate 10 to Indio. As much as we love to go to Indio, we don't particularly like the journey there. What God says to us on the road to Emmaus story is this, that there are different roads of life. And sometimes he has us on a road like the 243 and we'd rather not be there because we don't know what's around the next bend where it feels a little more apprehensive as we drive up it. Whereas in the Interstate 10, it's a straight shot. I know exactly where I'm going. I feel like I'm in total control. Sometimes on the road to Emmaus, for us, the twists and the turns are very disconcerting. And we're apprehensive whether the God that we believe in who is alive is actually going to get us to the journey destination that we want to go to. And those are difficult roads to go down. And maybe you're on a road where you've had some twists and turns and it's not been pleasant at all. Well, like these two guys on the road to Emmaus, 
Christ wants to come and encounter us in a new and dynamic way that assures us of his presence and his power to get to where we're going. I'd like for you to hear the story of a young man in our church, John, member of our church, who's had some twists and turns in his life and how God began to encounter him in some ways like Jesus encountered the road to Emmaus men. So take a look and listen to this video clip. April 1st, 2005, I woke up in an abandoned house. Even though it was dark in the room, um, you can see the sun rays peeking through the blinds. And I had a little glimmer of hope. I said I was gonna try to get clean one last time. I was an intravenous drug user and I lived on the streets. I stepped out of that abandoned house never to return again. And I remember walking down the street and I ran into a stranger and asked him for 50 cents. I immediately took the money and put it in a payphone. I called for somebody for help. He consented to pick me up under the condition that he would take me to a sober living house. And I said, well, that's why I'm calling you. I need help. I remember I couldn't lift my eyes off the ground when I was walking down the street because I was so filled with shame. I was bankrupt in every way, relationally, financially, emotionally, spiritually. I remember burning all my bridges with friends and family, so much so that uh, I called my mother a few days prior and asked her for a blanket. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't. She hung up the phone. So the last person in the world I would think would give up on me gave up on me. I remembered that um, I owed four months in jail. The cops were looking for me. Uh, I owed thousands of dollars to my drug dealer, and he hired somebody to kill me. What I wore that day walking down that street was what I owned. I was also very sick. I weighed about 115 pounds. I weigh 185 now. I realized that if I were any lower, it would be six feet underground. So for the first time in my life, I cried out to God. I said, God, if you're real, please help me. And for somebody who didn't believe in God and somebody who didn't follow him or know him or didn't grow up in a Christian home, God showed up in my life that day. I mustered up enough courage after a few weeks of being in a sober living house to turn myself into jail. Immediately when I was in jail, I was surrounded uh, by two believers who came up to me and started sharing the gospel with me. And I said to one of them, uh, wait a minute, what are you doing in here? And he said, uh, I had a parking ticket and I forgot to pay it, so the cops had to lock me up for it. I look back at that now and I realize that, you know, he was there for me. I didn't accept Jesus right at that moment, but I began to get very curious in who he was. And so I picked up a Bible in there and I started reading from page one. I read through Genesis and I hit Exodus and then I hit Leviticus and then I started to struggle. Uh, so uh, a man in there, he uh, said, well, you know, uh, don't worry. Why don't you come to chapel with me? Maybe it'll make more sense to you. So I said, okay. And we showed up to chapel and I sat in the back and I listened very intently to the message. And I started to understand who Jesus is and that he died on the cross for my sins, was buried and raised on the third day, and that those who believe in him have eternal life. And not only did I know that, but I believed it. It's exciting to know that, yeah, isn't that great? John, appreciate him. We'll meet him in a moment. A drug user in jail, 
about as low as you can get in life, and Jesus sought him out. Just like the two guys in the road that we're talking about. That God allowed these two guys in the road to continue to journey with him, and he didn't make himself known. He allowed these men to sort of live in this disillusioned, disappointed state. And it's just, it's just hard to understand how God does this or why he does these things. But he allows them to sort of sit in the middle of sort of their pain, unrevealed as the resurrected Jesus, until he has the proper time, the proper moment when he can make himself known. And that's what God does sometimes. Sort of that delayed response is he didn't believe in Jesus the first time. He had to learn more. I appreciate that. We value that. We don't want anybody to do anything they're not ready to do. But once that time comes when Christ begins to reveal himself, man, there's a big change that's about to take place. Well, these two guys on the road to Emmaus, they went back to Jerusalem. They said, we saw the living Jesus. He dined with us. He revealed himself to us. And they couldn't contain themselves. So they go back, they gather together the other disciples, they get into the room, and they begin to understand that life is better together, as you've heard, especially when Jesus is in the room. And so when they gather together, here are three things that God did to help them to know Him in a true and honest way. Not to overpromise or underpromise, but to be exactly who God is and what He exactly wants guys like these two guys and us to experience. First of all, I observe in this text and these verses on the screen that began to look at Christ and began to examine His life. Notice this one phrase. And while they were telling these things, that He had dined with them and walked with them on the road to Emmaus, Jesus Himself stood in the midst and He said to them, Peace be to you. That's what God wants, even in the midst of our frustrations. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit, which is what I would have thought. And they said to him, and he said to them, I should say, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, see me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. What I love about Jesus, he's never threatened by our doubts. He's never threatened by our questions. He's never threatened by our atheistic point of view. That may be. That may be where you're at. That's okay for us now. Jesus is not threatened by that. All he invites us to do like he did to these men that thought they were looking at a spirit or a ghost perhaps, he just checked me out. I want you to look at me and inspect me and discover things about me that maybe you don't know because I am here and I'm alive and I am well. So I think back, you know, I've been, I've been doing this job, as we sort of acknowledged a little bit last week, and thank you for that, but I acknowledge that for 40 years I've been doing this. I went to two different seminaries because I couldn't get it right in the first one, so I had to go to a second one to try to get it all figured out. And I didn't spend all that time investing my studies and research and understanding for something that just doesn't make any sense that has no reality behind it because the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is just abundant. And the more I look, the more I believe. That's what Jesus did here. Look, and you too will begin to, as John said on the screen, begin to not only know, but believe. So we offer the Alpha Course. It's going to be here in a week and a half on a Wednesday night. 
The Alpha Course is designed to help those of us who have doubts, those of us who have questions, those of us who don't even believe and not even sure we want to believe, to have an opportunity in a forum where we can have our doubts expressed, our questions attempt to answer, because we don't have all the answers, but at least to enter into this dialogue as Jesus had with the disciples and say, just, well, just look. What's the wrong, what's the harm in just looking? And not only did they look, but they began to learn as Jesus then spends this time investing to teach them. And he says, now he said to them, these are my words. What the Word of God says, the Bible is the key to understanding who God is. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He says, I've told you all this before, but I'm going to remind you now that you get me as the resurrected Jesus. That all the things which are written about me in the law of the Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament made of the law of Moses, the poetic books, and the prophetic books. All of them spoke about Jesus. As we saw on Good Friday, there are over 500 references to the coming Messiah, who is Jesus. There's so much evidence there. And Jesus begins to unpack that for them as they begin to learn about Christ. And it says that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And that's the process, the beauty of what God loves to do for us. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead and that third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And it starts right here in Jerusalem. That's the core. You know, it's, it's hard sometimes to get that through. I, I've got a friend that I will ride bikes with. I've rest, referenced him a time or two. We'll call him Bob. And I like Bob. I count him as a friend. See him pretty regularly out there as we cycle together. And many times we've had a conversation about spiritual things, about Jesus. He kind of knows where I'm coming from, and I kind of know where he's coming from, and it's a very different place, very different place. Lots of doubts in his heart. And he doesn't really have a sense of appreciation for Christ and all he's done. And recently, as we were writing just a few weeks ago, he was telling me about some of the physical problems he's had, and he's in a lot of pain because of some surgeries and so forth. And he said this. He said, you know, I, I have been living in so much pain, I wouldn't mind if I just would just die now. Said, well, that's too bad. You know, we talked and massaged that truth a little bit. I said, well, it's interesting. You should say you should die right now because if you were to die right now, Bob, do you know where you'd go? you know what would happen to you? He said, yeah. I said, what would happen? He said, I'd go to heaven. I said, well, that's great, Bob. That's, that's what we want. We all want to go to heaven. Well, Bob, why do you think you'd go to heaven? I asked him. He says, because I'm a nice guy. I go, oh, so nice guys go to heaven? Yeah, I'm a really nice guy. And I would agree with Bob. He is a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. If I could tell you some of the things he's told me about that he's done, it's just incredible. Very nice. But I thought of my own mind. I thought about the words of Christ here on the screen, that he would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. He didn't say that I would suffer on that Christ so all nice guys can go to heaven. It's not what Jesus is talking about. I, I wish it were that simple. If I'm God, I'd say, you know, if you're just nice enough, because most of us in this room are nice, right? Probably 99% of us are nice. Maybe 100% of us are nice. Except, like, as I was coming to church, they sat at the stoplight, and it turned green, and they were texting on their phone, and so you just want to lay on that horn and say, hey, get... aside from those moments, we're all pretty nice. 
But niceness is not good enough for God. He wouldn't die, suffer on the cross for six hours, a brutal, harsh death, the worst kind of death there is on the crucifixion of that cross. He wouldn't have done that because we're just all nice. Because if niceness cut it, man, get into heaven. That's great. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins because we're sinners. We may be nice sinners, but we're still sinners. And sinners don't make it into heaven. God says, I've got to do something for you, so I'm going to send my son who is perfect. He will die for you, so you don't have to worry about being nice enough because who knows how nice niceness has to be to get into heaven. A little bit of niceness, a whole bunch of niceness. It doesn't matter. God says, you got sin, and so I just want to wipe out all the sin. So I'm going to let Jesus die for you so you can be forgiven so that you can know that you'll go to heaven. And I said to Bob, I said, Bob, I've heard this question asked here by others. I love it. I said, Bob, if what you believe about heaven is not true, wouldn't you want to know that? If what you believe, Bob, about being nice enough to get into heaven is not true, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know? Well, yeah, yeah, I'd like to know that. And so I said, I'd like to give you some things that would help you to understand what God says, not what we think, not our opinions, not me, not our church, what God says. Oh, there's lots of opinions about what God, yeah, oh, but can I share with you? And so he says, well, I'm taking a trip, and so when I get back, you can let me know then. So it's pending. I wish I had a nice little conclusion to that story, but it's pending. And it may be, it may be it's pending for you as well. Wouldn't you like to know if what you believe is not true? Because this is eternal. And what is true is that Christ came to offer for us forgiveness of our sins. That's why he died on the cross. And when that happens, when I believe, when I finally say, no longer pending for me, but I want to enter into that relationship with a living Savior because I know that He's alive, and He's alive for me, a sinner, and I need His forgiveness. When that happens, this is what happened here in the story. The conclusion of the story is this. And He led them, Jesus led them as, out as far as Bethany, and He lifted up His hands, and He blessed them. He blessed them with good words is what he's saying. There. I want to give you good words and what you have in the future. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them. He was carried up into heaven. He ascended. It's a miracle. As they see this living Savior that they doubted that he'd even come back to life, now they're watching him go up into heaven. He's displaying his power before them. And they, after they worshiped him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. What a contrast. Remember the very first point? They were leaving Jerusalem in sadness. Now they're going back to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continuing in the temple praising God. When we encounter the living Savior, He begins to change things. Life is not the way it once was because He's in charge. Whether we see Him or not, He's in charge. I'd like you to see the end of John's story and how it concluded with Him. So the pastor asked a very interesting question at the end of the sermon that I hope I never forget. He didn't say, does anyone want to become a Christian or does anyone want to change their life? Does anyone want to get off drugs or even get out of prison someday? All those things applied to me. 
He didn't ask that. What he asked was, does anyone want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ today? And that struck my heart. Why? Because not even my own mother wanted a relationship with me. But I knew Jesus did. And I had to think very hard about it because I knew it wasn't a decision I was going to make today and forget about tomorrow. But it meant giving my life over to the care of God and letting Him manage it for me. It meant cultivating a relationship with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, it meant walking with Him and living with Him and talking with Him. And after I made that decision, um, I stood up and gave my life to the Lord. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And He meant that. Life is in Jesus. I'm really grateful that uh, what's ahead, I know that my life is just beginning. Uh, but the thing that I have to keep bringing myself back to is life is in Jesus Christ. My relationship with Him is paramount in comparison to anything else. The, my main focus should always be, and always will be, hopefully, is relationship with the Lord. A Bible verse that comes to my mind, um, um, seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, and even though in that context it's talking about money, but I think it's really just talking about all your provisions in life. You can apply it to that at least. And since I've been following the Lord and just really trying to focus on my relationship with Him, He's radically transformed me. He's transformed my heart. He's transformed my relationships with my family, uh, with people, and uh, He's blessed me with a wife. And it says, he who finds a wife finds a blessing from the Lord. And he's blessed me tremendously. And matter of fact, you know, I have a little bit of money in my bank account, believe it or not, today. And uh, he's given me purpose in life, uh, something that's satisfying. Um, something, uh, when I was a new believer, that I asked myself the question, what would I think about when I was on my deathbed? And I knew I wouldn't think about what cars I've owned, how much money I had in my bank account or what degrees I got, well, all those things are okay. The things that I really would have thought about was what my relationship with the Lord looked like, what my relationship with my family looked like, and how I helped people. Those are the things I would really cherish and value. And so those are the things that I seek today. And those are the things that the Lord has blessed me with. That's a great story. Appreciate John. John is right here. Just stand up, John. He is a real person. He is actually here. So. <laughs> John's a member of our church, and he is uh, asking our missions, missions, uh, our global reach team, because uh, he wants to go on a missionary journey. He wants to serve the Lord full time. That's how God changes from, from drugs and jail to missionary status. That's almost apostolic Paul-like, so that's a good story there. But uh, I also, and his fiance is here, not married yet, but uh, I, I, a little disclaimer, if you give your life to Christ and believe in Him, it doesn't guarantee you a spouse. But uh, it may, but it's not always. But I love the story of how once you understand, the, his mind was open to understand who Christ is, to have a relationship with Jesus, not join a church, not give an offering, not do religious stuff, but have a relationship with Jesus. It made sense to him at that point in time in his life. And maybe here today, it can make sense to you as well. To finally say, Lord, I've heard enough. I want to believe. Not just know, as he said, but actually believe. I'm going to invite you into that relationship and give you an opportunity. You can do it anytime, but maybe now's the time for you. 
I'd like to pray and invite you in a prayerful moment to trust in Jesus if you've never done that before. So would you bow before me, uh, before the Lord as we pray. Father, help us as we look to you for this moment. God, you're the mighty God that you sent your only begotten Son to this world that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God, I pray that all of us have that hope of everlasting life with you, related to you as an almighty God through your Son, Jesus. And Lord, maybe there's some here today who sort of have known some of these things, but they've never personally believed them, to personalize them, to receive them as their truth in you as a Savior. So I invite you, if you'd like to make this the moment for you, as it was for John some years back, pray with me a prayer like this. God in heaven, I know that Christ rose from the dead after dying to pay for my sins. I want to now personally believe in Jesus as I confess my sins to receive his forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me and coming back to life so that I, too, can have that new life today and forever with you in heaven. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, we would love to know that because better together to have Christ with us in that journey makes all the difference. You can put it on the card, turn it into the connection point at the end of the service. We'd love to know and journey with you. And also, we'd like to invite you to do something. Wherever you're at, to indicate that, yes, I want to identify with Jesus. I want to connect with Christ. I want to come to the cross and with others experience life better together in a symbolic way. So we have this cross as it's turned perpendicular to you, but as you come on either side of that cross, we want to invite you to take one of these strings that's in this basket over here, and there's a basket on the other side as well, and bring this string up to this cross, and in the middle of the cross it's empty, but to say that I identify with Christ and the cross unites us together around Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. He is our Lord. And I want to identify with Him and connect with Him and take that and put one of the nails down here and one of the nails at the top and begin to string together in between this cross and the multicolored way, the various stories of our lives. We come together and symbolically say, I unite with one another as I connect to the cross of Jesus. We're going to worship give you plenty of time to come on up here when you're ready, and you can grab some of the strings on either side of the front here. There'll be somebody there to help you. And come and place that on that cross and say, yes, Lord, I'm with you at the cross. Would you stand together as we worship and come on up when you're ready and place it on the cross.
It's a great truth that we believe in, that He is the living Lord, living Savior, Jesus Christ. He is in heaven. He is with us. And whatever the road may be for you, like the men on the road to Emmaus, it may be the curvy, windy kind, and you're not sure what's next, or maybe it's just straight, and you know exactly where God's taking you. In either case, how great it is to know that Jesus is with us, to live that life and to know that He is present, very powerful, and wants to bless us and provide for us as we go down that road. Whatever the outcome, we know that He can be with us. I pray that you believe that. And if you've made a decision to believe in Jesus in that way, we encourage you to take the card, put a little note on that. We'd love to know about that. And if you're a guest today, bring it to the connection point out there, and we'd love to be able to respond or give you a gift, whatever the case might be for you. We'd love to come alongside and sort of be that presence of Christ as we journey in this life together. As the cross is going to show, we're so much better as we fill it in with all the various stories of our lives, the various colors in the way that's reflected. It gives us a chance to stay connected to the cross of Jesus and our journey together. Finish up. I'll please keep on doing that even as we wrap up here. We're glad that you're here, and thanks for your patience to stand in line. It's, as I said earlier, it's a great way to train us to be on the 55 freeway tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning and uh, to be patient, to be patient as we go through that road. Let me pray for us and pray God's blessing upon us as we continue to live this life in His behalf. Father God, we thank you for your kindness to us, the love of God that is revealed through the Son, Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, who seeks to be our Lord and Savior, who will seek us out wherever we are at, whatever our journey may be, whether running to or from you, Lord, to know that he still is seeking us out. Thank you, Father, for that truth. And now, Father, as we live our lives, I pray that we do live it better together but with you in our midst to help us along that way. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ and what it reveals to the love that you have for us. Help us now, Father, as we look to you and give you thanks for all that you've done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.